There's two readings this morning. The first one is taken from John 8, 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The second reading is taken from John 9, 1 to 5. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. This is the word of God. Good morning, church. My name is Pastor Scott. So glad to have you with us here as we continue in the series of the I Am's of Jesus' statements uh, in the book of John. So eight times in the book of John, Jesus says, I am. Uh, seven of those, he kind of finished the sentence. And today we get to look at our third week, I am the light of the world. He says it in John 8. He says it in John 9. Don't worry, I'm not planning to do any stage diving or anything. We do share the theater with the high school production uh, upcoming in a couple weeks. Uh, we're excited you're here, and I believe that God has a word for all of us uh, this afternoon. Uh, will you pray with me now? Father, thank you so much for these men and women, young and old, gathered here. We pray that your word would uh, fall on us with new ears. We know there's people here today, Lord, gathered that have been following you for a very long time. We give thanks for their faith. We pray they would hear something new this morning to encourage and to grow them. And Lord, we know there's others that are just at the beginning of their journey, still figuring out what they believe about you. And so, Jesus, we pray that you would meet us here this morning and, and move us all towards this understanding that you are the light of the world. And all God's people said, amen. Amen, amen. So, John 8 and 9, I am the light of the world is our, ser our series title today. Hopefully, you picked up a, an outline when you came in. Actually, I'm doing some fill in the blanks for you. So, you type A people are going to be loving this. There'll be blanks to fill in. You're going to get an A plus at church today. Uh, so just follow along here. Uh, message, I am the light of the world. When I was a freshman in college, uh, we didn't have much money, uh, but a bunch of our, our friends, we started to do stuff in the outdoors. So we got into a lot of trouble and had a bunch of adventures trying to test our will uh, out in the wilderness. And we would go down to REI. They had these garage sales. You've heard of these? Where they sell used gear, used and damaged, slightly damaged or more than slightly damaged, but for a discount. Like who could beat it? And so, you know, through that first freshman year of college, we'd go down to these garage sales pretty religiously, and we got used sleeping bags that were mostly in good shape, used sleeping bags. And depending how much you paid, you got somewhere on the scale of usedness, uh, and also used headlamps. And so we wanted to, to take our gear, my buddy Alan and I, and do some exploring right before finals week, our freshman year. Now, this is a this is a new headlamp. These are the fancy, you know, Costco. They're cheap now. But back in the day, I don't know if you remember, you used to screw them in. Does anyone remember? And there's little light bulbs in there because I'm super old. And I know I look super nerdy right now. And that's okay. But you would screw it in. You'd put a couple batteries in, change the, the bulb if, if it was starting to get dim. So we wanted to go on an adventure. We get our used backpack, our used sleeping pad, our used headlamps, and... 
I don't know what we had for food. We had our buddy. We didn't even have cars. We didn't have cell phones because this was way back when in the 1990s. All right? Kids will tell you about it sometime. And my buddy had a 65 Camaro. So we throw his, our backpacks in the Camaro. He drives us out, out of town in Spokane, out by Painted Rocks, and drops us off in the dark. He says, guys, I'll be back tomorrow at noon. Takes off. So we got backpacks. We got headlamps. And we start to head up in the dark. Now, it's only when you really kind of need light that you sometimes notice that it's missing. Have you had this experience? Like the power goes out and it's like, where's my flashlight? Or, you know, you go to light candles when you're, you know, got some kind of weather event going on. It's like, oh, we're out of candles, we're out of matches or whatever. And so we got our backpacks on, we have our headlamps on, we're screwed in. We're starting to head up the Painted Rocks Wilderness, trying to get up top of the area to try to find some place in the dark to set out our, our tent. And in the dark, it's really hard to get along. And the further I get up the trail, which we really didn't have a trail, we were just kind of picking our way through rocks, I realized how dim my headlamp was. And I would unscrew it and then screw it back in. I would pound on it a couple times, hoping that would work. And everything I was trying wasn't really helping. The stars were out, luckily, and my buddy had light on his own, and we kind of picked our way, get up at night, and, and we're up on what we think is a little ridge among boulders and stuff. We'd lay out our tent get set up, and, you know, it, it all of a sudden kind of hits me. It's, it's rattlesnake season in Spokane. And you can look one way, and, and with your headlamp, you can see a little patch of light, but everything else is darkness. And then you start, like, it's like phantom rattlesnakes, and, you know, sh- like, what is that noise? You know, and you look here, and, and then your, your, your other back is exposed. You know, and you look here, and oh, we were kind of freaking out. We ended up okay. No rattlesnake bites. Sorry. It's, you know, you're like, oh, I was hoping for a really great illustration today, Scott. Not a subpar one, but that's okay. But we wake up in the morning, and lo and behold, we are on top of the Painted Rocks Wilderness area. We can see down below the little Spokane River. We can see far into the Spokane Hills. And here you have these two 19-year-old college kids that by dumb luck had kind of found the, the kind of perfect patch of ground to hang out on. And it's 6 in the morning and we're watching the sun come up. And we feel like we were so blessed by the experience. And we were heading up the night before doing our best with the aids of a headlamp and, and you know, kind of making our way. But we had no idea of the beauty that awaits because when the daylight dawns, it's better than you can even imagine it. And many of you, you've had those experiences. You've had counter experiences where you head up and, and you know, it, it's fogged in and you can't see anything. You try to summit, you don't make it, but you've had these other moments where the sun comes up and through the night you'd hope to see something great and it was better than you even imagined. There's beauty in the dark to be appreciated for sure, but nothing beats the light. Nothing beats it. And here we are, these 19-year-old kids sitting up on these rocks, just taking it all in, taking our breath away. And it's in that context of trying to find our way in the dark, but understanding that the best life available is in the midst of the light, that Jesus speaks the words of John 8 and John 9 to us. In John 8 and John 9, and actually starts in John 7, there's something going on in the book of John called the, the Feast of the Booths. The Feast of the Tabernacles. Now, context is really important with anything, right? But especially the Bible. Like, we need to know what Jesus is talking about. So he says the words in John 8 and John 9, which Kay just read for us, that I am the light of the world. He was speaking during, during this feast, this Feast of the Tabernacles. Now, in ancient Israel, there was three sacred feasts. They were called pilgrimage feasts. 
As, as one of those, the Feast of the Tabernacles meant that, that every able-bodied Jewish male from the whole kingdom would return, return to Jerusalem to worship in the temple. So same thing at the Passover and, and, and another, another one called Sukkot. Uh, and then Shavat, and then the Passach. So there's these three pilgrimage, uh, uh, pilgrimage-type feasts that everyone would come for. And this, this context of John 8 happens in the middle of the Feast of the Tabernacles, otherwise known as Feast of the Booths. Jesus, in John 7, doesn't really want to go there. He knows there be, will be trouble, and he goes anyway. And he starts to preach, and he starts to tell the truth about who he is. And, and during the Feast of the Booths, this really interesting thing happens. So it's chaos in Jerusalem. Every able-bodied man from around Israel is in the city. Every priest is all, it's all hands on deck. Everybody's here. And the Feast of the Booths is talked about throughout Scripture, but its really origins come from the book of Numbers, where God says in the book of Numbers that he will lead his people in the wilderness. And that was when God came as both a cloud and, and as a flame. And it says, when the flame moves, you move. And when the flame stays, you stay. God says, I will be your light. Follow me. I'll be your light. You got to trust me. And, and so for the Feast of the Booths, they would light these candelabras. They had light everywhere around the city of Jerusalem. And everywhere there's light. And Jesus says, in the midst of that context, he says, you see this light? I'm the true light. I'm the, I'm the true light. It's like later on today, the Seattle Sounders will open their season. That's a big deal. Any Sounder fans in the room? There's three of you. All right. Well, we're glad you're here. But we, yes, I see you. I got you. All right. There's a couple of Sounder fans in the room. They, they won a championship last year. Like the season ended, they won the championship. So today, they will, they will parade into CenturyLink. They'll do that thing that soccer teams do with the young kids with them. We don't know why they do it, but it's beautiful. It kind of gets us choked up. And, and they'll have the trophy. And the fans are going to go bananas, you know. And they, like it's in the middle of CenturyLink Field. Imagine Christ being in the middle of that field, standing in CenturyLink and say, you see this game, this beautiful game? I am the real game. I am the real game. I'm the real deal. And though the stuff of the world means a great deal to you and what matters to us matters to God, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Follow me. Follow me. So he has this declaration of theology in John 8 after he saves a woman caught in adultery. We'll be back to that. And then he, as we heard in the scripture reading, he heals a man born blind. This is the story. It's really beautiful in John 9. Jesus spits in the ground, makes a little concoction, wipes it on the man's eyes, and heals him. John 8 is a declaration of his theology. John 9, a kind of personal history of salvation for this man. In both cases, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Both are transformational. One kind of the, the transformation of this woman, the other the transformation of this man born blind. And that has been the history and legacy of this church for 100 years. That we would tell the story of who Jesus is. And I, I've been a Bethany here, Bethany North. We started almost seven years ago. I've been a member and attender of Bethany about 13 years. This is a story way bigger than me. For 100 years, people have, have created a church and a legacy that would tell the truth of who Jesus is. So much so, as I told last week, the people of Bethany decades ago put the I am statements of Jesus in the old chapel building where they still hang today. They said, every time we go to church, we want to be reminded of who Jesus is. And so today... Jesus says, who am I? I'm the light of the world. 
And when you're following me, you will experience a lightness that you cannot have without following me fully. That's our big idea today. That we're going to be looking at you know, this John verse of, of I am the light of the world. And we're going to be kind of alluding to the book of Matthew who we just did. We just finished a sermon series. If you, if you weren't around, you can listen to those online. But in the book of Matthew and the Beatitudes and the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus says to his followers, he says, you are the light of the world. And so from I am the light of the world in John to we are the light of the, of the world in, in Matthew, there's, there's something missing. How do we get from I to we? There's this memo in the middle. This is our big idea this morning. And going from the I am to the you are, the memo in the middle is to let the light in and be transformed by the true light of the world, Jesus Christ. And in the process, you'll become the light that a darkened world needs so badly. The memo in the middle, friends, is where God wants to meet you so badly and desperately today. And I believe that God has good news for us this morning. All right, are you excited? I'm pretty excited to be here back with you guys. So let's, let's start our first slide here. First slide is, I am the light of the world. What Jesus says in both John 8 and John 9, I am the light of the world. And you have in your bulletin there, the light of the world, Jesus is compelling us in and not pulling us out. And again, if you're type A, you're like, this is awesome. I've got like a little line plus a cheat sheet. This is wonderful. Jesus compelling us in, not pulling us out. Many of you guys know I was an English teacher in Los Angeles, um, which was really wonderful. I, I taught English because I love the English language, but I really taught English because every teacher and administrator and young life leader in the room knows that the, the most important battleground going on in the country right now is the hearts of our youth. The hearts of our youth, telling them that Jesus is the light of the world. And so teachers and ministers and people serving our schools and our classrooms and involved parents, you're, you're fighting this battle. Thank you for proclaiming that light. I was a teacher that got to teach kids about English, but I was hopefully teaching them about who Jesus was through the way they were encountering the light. In this prepositional phrase, Jesus compelling us in, not pulling us out, there's a, there's a, a prepositional phrase. Now, prepositional phrases are used to modify subjects in a sentence. The subject kind of changes because of a prepositional phrase modifies it. And Jesus calls himself the light in the world who longs to be the light of the world. He says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, that can kind of just sound like a Bible verse we've heard before, but for ancient Hebrews, the context and study of light is so important and foundational for their understanding of Scripture. Because from the very beginning, for Hebrew people, they understood that the world was formed dark, and then God intervened and brought light, and God is always moving to bring light to dark spaces. So this is from Genesis 1, verses 2 through 4. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Beautiful imagery. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. Because God's heart is always to bring light to darkened places. His desire is always to, to bring form to formless places. To bring order to chaotic spaces. God is there in the dark. You see the spirit is hovering over the water. There's, there's nowhere that God is not already there. And yet God is moving into darkened spaces and chaotic spaces and lonely spaces and saying, let there be light. Let there be light. 
Let there be a presence of order and of godliness. And, and may, may we know that God is working in the light. Now, it's, it's true of ancient Israel. Walking in the desert, think how scared and lonely they would have been. Think how scared and lonely. Forty years in the desert. And God says in the book of Numbers, I'll be the light for you. Where I go, you'll go. And where I stay, you stay. And here in John 8 and John 9, Jesus is saying, I am the light. I'm the light of the world. And friends, we, we, we need this light. We need this light so badly. And there's times where it's not super comfortable because when we're in the light, it can tend to be kind of a spotlight. None of us really want to be the guy on stage or acting like we've got it all together. We're not called to have it all together, but we are called to be in the light. God says, I have made you in order to know me. And when you're in the light, you're experiencing my life inside of you. Just like he said to the ancient people in the book of Numbers, I will be your light. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. And some of us need to hear that in new ways this morning. Maybe God is asking you to trust him and to follow the light. And he's calling you to something that you just, you've been fighting him, but he's on the move. And you need to go. He's going to be with you. He's going to lead you. You're not setting out alone. The light is moving, Jesus is saying, follow me. And others of you, maybe it's a different story where you've been praying about a situation to change. You've been praying about a relationship. You've been praying about a job opportunity. And you need to trust. The light maybe is not moving yet. God is giving you the job now to stay where he stays and he'll tell you when it's time to get up and pack tents and get on the move again. Jesus says, I am the light. This comes from the book of Psalm. Psalm, 40, yeah, Psalm 89, 14 through 16. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you, who walk in the light of your presence, Lord. They rejoice in your name all day long. They celebrate your righteousness. So Jesus has the audacity here to preach John 8, 12, I am the light of the world in the midst of the woman being caught in adultery. If you have your Bibles there, you see the beginning of chapter 8, a woman who is dragged out from the act of adultery. It's probably a story familiar to many of us. We've heard it. We've heard sermons on it. We've thought about it. We've reflected on it. What we know is it's the woman's darkest day. We don't know where the man is because even here there's a misogyny at play where the man's sinfulness who was part and privy of this relationship is gone. They bring the woman before these men who want to stone her, who want her to get into the light. Because the problem so often with this language of like kind of get into the light is it's kind of used as exclusionary language by those that already feel like we've arrived as lightness. Are they walking in the light as we walk in the light? Jesus calls all of us to be in the light. And so when the men come and they bring the woman on her darkest day, the darkest, worst day of his life, they've got stones. And you got to know, I mean, these aren't, these aren't little like these seashore pebbles. They've got stones. They're going to do some damage. They're going to do some work. They've got a woman. They know it's dark. They're testing Jesus. Hey, you say you're light. We've got darkness right here. We see the sin in the other. 
Because we can always see the sin in the other, right? We can name each other's sin. Those of you married, like, yes, I know my spouse's sin right now. Can I raise my hand? No, it's not appropriate right now. Like, we can name the sins of the other. It's much harder to do the work of what is my story. So these guys are locked and loaded. They're going to do business. And they say, Jesus, you do that light thing you're going to do, and you... Tell her that she's not in the light. And Jesus says, you without sin cast the first stone. And the text says that starting with the oldest, they began dropping their stones. Because the longer you live, the more you realize that all of us have dark corners. Right? The longer you live, life feels a little bit more complex And so the oldest amongst them walked away. And then Jesus says this to the woman. I don't condemn you, but I do want you to change. Because I came for you to have light, and you're trying to stuff that void with sexual activity out of your marriage. It will bankrupt you. There's no goodness in just not naming darkness. Jesus didn't come so that we don't have to ever feel like not dark. He came so that we would experience his light in us, that we would walk in the light, that we would experience him as truth. This was always going to be the Jesus story. This from Isaiah 9 verse 2, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. And Jesus says, I want more than your religious activity. I want more than your self-righteousness. I want more than your church attendance. I want your heart. Every one of us, he says, I want your heart. I want you to let light in. I want your heart. And this is a journey that we walk all the days of our life of letting the light in. This comes from another prophet, Micah 7, verse 8. Do not rejoice over me, O my enemy. Though I fall, I will rise. Though I dwell in darkness, the Lord is a light for me. So the light of the world, Jesus says, I want to be your light. And so for us as believers trying to understand the fullness of what this life light looks like, we got some work to do. And if you hear one thing today, I want you to kind of hold on to this phrase that belief becomes becoming. The work of the Christ follower is to constantly be moving into the light. This believing and it's becoming my becoming more light. It's belief transforming me and changing me. Not throwing stones at my neighbor, at my enemies, but saying let the light in. God, change me from the inside out. My belief becomes becoming. I want more of that, Jesus. Make it more in me. And it's counterintuitive, guys, because the dark places love to stay hidden right? And that's what makes them dark places. And we start to hear these narratives in our, in our head. She won't forgive you. He doesn't struggle in the same way. They won't like you if they know. This will make life harder, not easier. And the reality is anyone that's in the healing profession, we've got some healers here, whether it's doctors, dentists, therapists, psychologists, psychiatrists. If you're in the healing business, you got to know what's going on. Let's get everything into the light and then start to do that work of saying, what might we rebuild here? we got to let the light in.
Uh, many of you know we had this situation in, in the month of January, this neighborhood situation, very scary for us, where a man who was suffering some mental illness had identified uh, our neighborhood as a place of special interest to him. And he was, he was scaring people. He was loitering and hanging out and, and, and threatening violence. And all this was going on. And we literally were like, we, we need more light. I mean, we went to Home Depot. We got motion lights. We got motion lights for the motion lights and security cameras. And the idea, though, it wasn't funny. We were scared spitless. It was like, if it was just more light, then we will know where the danger is. We want to know where the danger is. We want to know what's out there. And the light of the world says, I see you. I see you. So let the light in. And stop running and hiding and, and pretending there's no darkness in you. Every one of us in the room have places. Jesus is saying, I want to let the light in. Step one. Well, how, do, how do we get here from the Jesus, I am the light, to we will be the light? It's the second point of our outline. It's the memo in the middle. The memo in the middle of this great transformation. I've been praying about this all week. I've been musing about this all week. Jesus says, I am. He says, we are. How do we get there from this I am to we are? We got to get this memo in the middle. Christ is calling us out. He's not letting us be stuck within. Christ is calling us out of darkened places. He's not letting us stay stuck within. He's calling us out. He's saying enough with the darkness. Enough with the hiding, enough with the the secret web searches, enough with the inappropriate relationships, enough with the way in which you deify other things above me. Jesus says, I am the light. I will be your light. We want to call you out and not let you stay stuck within. And the reality of the cross is that we've already been called out. None of us saves ourselves. None of us heals ourselves. None of us is meant to be the savior or the light of the world. We're not the light without Jesus as the light. So by its very definition and determination, our whole job is trying to get more of Jesus into our darkened corners. This is what the writer of Ecclesiastes 2 verse 13 says, I saw wisdom was better than folly and light was better than darkness. When was it you saw that for yourself? Or here's a better question. Who calls you out? Who asks you hard questions? Who says, how are you loving your spouse? Who asks how you made up with your kid after that tough interaction? Who asks how you're spending your money? Like, are you being formed? It's great to come on a Sunday and hear a message, but you've got to be called out. God does not want us stuck with it, and that work always happens in relationship. I meet with a mentor. Every one of us in the room should have somebody that we look to and admire that speaks in our life. I'll meet with this guy, and I can bluff a lot of people, like, oh, how's it oh, it's good, you know, I'm doing this, that. He's like, how's your marriage? Wow, needs a little work. I've been, you know, all right, called out. How are the kids? You're trying to, like, you know, tell other people how to live. How are you living? Called out. It's super encouraging other times. But if we don't have people calling us out, we will stay stuck in dark places. And Christ longs to do that work in relationship of calling us out and trying to to transform us. And that's really this narrative of John 9 that's very beautiful where Jesus and this blind man have this interaction. Jesus spits in the mud. It's odd how Jesus chooses to heal us. He heals us in the most unlikely ways. Isn't that beautiful? 
So when we're in the midst of unlikely parts of our story, maybe that's the beginning of God doing some healing work. Jesus spits in the mud, rubs it on his eyes, heals him and tells him, I'm the light of the world. And then John 9 is this whole proclamation by this man born blind. There's more text of John 9 about this nameless, newly seen blind guy than almost any part of the New Testament other than John and the disciples. We, we simply know more about this guy's words than we know of most other stories of the New Testament. Who was he? Why don't we know his name? It's because the story's not about him. The story's about Jesus. And so much of our story we make about our story. And we get stuck in places of our story. And Christ wants to speak to us again this morning that our story is important as it's about his story. That's where the meaning is. That's where the depth is. That's where the joy is. Jesus says, that's the, the, the thing I want to do in you is I want to bring the light into you and let you experience me in a way that will blow you apart into a million pieces of light. Listen to this piece of Ephesians 5, verses 8 through 13, where Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. It's gorgeous about this memo in the middle of what the light wants to do in us, the work of the light of expressing darkness. Paul writes this, you were once darkness, but now you're the light in the Lord. That's good news. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that's illuminated becomes a light. Now, this is the amazing thing about Scripture. You guys, maybe some of you have already seen this. I've never seen this before this, or this week. This is incredible to me. Verse 13 Everything exposed by the light becomes visible and then disappears, right? Because we want healing stories. We want they were fixed to this and then we never saw it again in their life. That's the story, right? No. The light becomes visible and everything that's illuminated becomes a light. The stuff that Jesus heals us from becomes a light, he doesn't want it to disappear. He's going to use our story to be a light to others. So the addiction and the brokenness and the loneliness and our infertility and our divorce in itself, though it can be so broken, Jesus says, it can become a light. That's amazing. When we do this memo in the middle work, when we, when we let the light into darkened spaces, Jesus says, it doesn't just disappear, it becomes a light. That's incredible. And so I, I want us to just continue the, the journey that, that we might be doing this, this work of letting the light in and busting us open and expressing this, this call to be light. That's, that's what the hope is. This week they wrote a great article on the junction. Former strip club becomes a coffee shop. People loving others on Aurora, serving breakfast, studying the Bible. There's so much more work to do. Guess what? It's a light. Or, or yesterday, people from our church, people from this church, downtown Seattle, building tiny homes for the homeless. You can't fix homelessness nationally overnight, but you can go and pound some nails and be light. 
Or, or yesterday, a group of people in our congregation went to a, a mosque in Shoreline was having an open house. And so Christians from this community went there to pray with them and to say, we're not happy with what's going on against Muslims. These are Bosnian Muslims in South Shoreline. They went to pray with them and just be a light. I mean, what it means, it's easy to hate stuff in the world. It takes a lot more work to be a light. So as we work to kind of this memo of the middle of the light kind of breaking us open, we can, we can take active steps of Christ shining through us to be a light. And the second part is a little harder and more convicting. But I'm going to grab some light bulbs here. Because we're meant to be people confessing our sin. And saying, hey, I know that I blew it with how I treated you. And I was proud and I was selfish. Will you forgive me? We're letting the light in. Or or people saying, you know, man almighty, I saw things this week that didn't make me the kind of man or woman that I want to be. I'm going to confess the stuff I've looked at. I'm going to ask for accountability from people in my life. We're letting the light in. And we do this work of confessing and expressing, we're letting the light in. Saying, I don't want to be a person of darkness. Jesus, will you light me up? And may you use my transformation to be a light for the city who calls you out. And I I lived in a neighborhood full of high school students as a college student. We moved into the neighborhood, eight guys living in a house, not a good idea. We got into a little bit of trouble. We were going to be the light. We were going to be the light. I was a young life leader in that neighborhood. And then someone had an idea, let's throw a housewarming party. Good idea, we said. Someone said, well, many of us are 21. We should have multi-beverages. Good idea, others said. So instead of what started small, there's now kegs of beer in a kitchen. And it was going to be a few people, and then someone made some flyers, and it's all over the campus. We're trying to be a light in this neighborhood. There are hundreds of people in our home. This wild party. And it's my Young Life regional director, Scott Lewis, who's a friend to this day, father of famed producer Ryan Lewis, who just called me out. He said, Sunday night at my house. Me and my buddy's like, huh, I wonder what he wants to talk about. I don't know, maybe he didn't get invited to the party. Driving down there, we're like, do you think it was a good idea or a bad idea? It's probably not a great idea, but, you know, we're college kids. Scott met with us and was kind and gracious and totally, totally called us out. That's not the kind of behavior that we find edifying to be a young life leader trying to reach kids in that neighborhood. What do you guys want to say? And we got a chance to say, We were wrong, and we were sorry. And that home started to change. And we started to host more Bible studies than parties. And we made the home a light for Jesus in the neighborhood. That's the memo in the middle, friends. Christ is calling us to be busted open and to be changed and that our life and transformation would become a light to many. And this is is the third point. This is the swing. This is the sweetness. This is the good stuff. This is the proclamation of what Jesus would say in the book of Matthew You are the light of the world. We become the light of the world when we experience Christ as light and we receive the encouragement to take active steps of truth-telling and active steps in participating and bringing light into our neighborhoods. We become the light. And look what happens here in John 9. 
Jesus heals the man. He, the man has this whole interaction where he starts talking to the Pharisees about his transformation. And Jesus says, I came to heal you. Jesus pursues the one in John 9, not the many. There's this whole religious discourse happening. The religious leaders are up in arms. They're scurrying around Jerusalem. And at the end of it, Jesus heard, verse 35, that they had thrown the man out. And then Jesus went looking for the man, the blind man who can now see. And Jesus said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe in Jesus? And the man says, well, who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus says, you have now seen him with your own eyes. In fact, he is the one speaking. And the man said, Lord, I believe and, I, and he worshipped him. Jesus pursues the one, not the many. He's not interested in this passage in having a discourse on religious activity. He's interested in the transformation of each and every one of his lost sheep. Each and every one of us. If you're in a room this morning, if you're in this room this morning, unsure of where you stand with Jesus Christ, know that he's already out looking for you. And he wants very much to be the light of the world to your world. So that you may become part of his light. He's searching for you. This is the book of Ezekiel chapter 34 verse 11. This is what the testimony and prophecy of who Jesus would be is this. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them. So I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered. On the day of clouds and darkness. And so if you're walking in darkness this morning, if you're in a time of kind of literal or spiritual or emotional kind of demise and dark places, you have a light who is working and looking for you. He's coming for you. And for others in the room, they're like, you know, hey, that's not my thing. Like, I'm, I'm good. I'm with Jesus. Then maybe the question turns, who are you out looking for? Like, who are you out pursuing with this radical good news of the light of the world? Because we're meant to be the light. And we're meant that through us we might express the light living so that others would not be trapped in places of darkness. And friends, I've said it before and I want to say it again this morning because it feels very fitting on this Light of the World Sunday. Our transformation as, as men and women of faith, it is our story. It becomes our proclamation. When we're delivered and when we're healed and when the light lives in us, when we're, when we're seeking Jesus in new and passionate ways, our transformation becomes our proclamation. It becomes the good news story. Over and over again in chapter 9, these Pharisees keep trying to pin this blind man down to some sort of theological argument. And he literally says, all I know was that I was blind and now I see. And so if we're going to have a story to tell in our community, we've got we to see Jesus we got to let the light in and experience him. And then when we experience him, he'll bust us open into a million pieces of light. And we become the good news stories that our communities need, that our schools need, that our marriages need. We become the light. We become God's people. A novelist I used to read a lot in school, Edith Wharton, said this. There are only two ways of spreading light, to be the candle or the mirror that reflects it. And I think there's actually, for the Christian, there's one way. We are not the candle. And when we go out trying to be light and give and do and serve, so often we burn out. We flame away. And the work of the Christ follower is to merely reflect the light of the world. And in the reflecting, our life takes up power and, and a reflection of light to the world. We become very much like the moon. 
And so the moon, we, we kind of visually understand to have a light. We see it in the night sky. And yet we know this from our basic astronomy classes in school. That, that the moon's whole power to shine is merely a reflection of the sun shining on it. Experts say between 3 and 10% of the, of the sun's light is what actually gets reflected. And when we see the, the light of the moon, we're actually seeing 1 to 398,110 parts. We're seeing just a fraction, but we know it to be true. And we see it in our city, and we're aligning our life. And we say, I want to shine like that. It was a couple of years ago at Easter time. We used to do video teaching, which is really great, hearing from Pastor Richard all the time. And at Easter a couple of years ago, I said, Scott, we really want you to preach. And so I had my friend Ben, he sang this song by Phil Wickham. Maybe some of you have heard it. If you are the sun, I want to be the moon. I want to reflect the light that shines from you. And he, he sang this song. And I took the stage in the Spartan gym, and I've never been more confident of where I stood as the light, because I'm a recipient. We're all recipients. Christ is the light of the world, and he longs for us to be shined into and then out of. We cannot express something we don't first receive. And maybe your action step this morning comes a little bit from places of darkness that you've been carrying alone, and maybe God wants to challenge you. You don't have to carry it alone. Get it into the light. And for others of us, there's this reminder of like, even in my places of light, God is putting someone else's story on my heart to be a light to them, invite them to Easter, make a meal to them, to show them Christ's love. I am to we are. The memo in the middle is he longs to use us all, shining into us, shining through us into the city that needs him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much from words from scripture to teach and challenge and remind that you are our light. We don't need to burn out or to flame away. We need merely to reflect your love. So Lord, give us that ability to, to see you and receive you and then give us that courage to shine your light into all the places that we go in the week ahead. We're thankful, Lord. We know we didn't deserve it or earn it, and yet, Lord, we're going to receive it with confidence because you have saved us already, and you're saving us even now. Lord, it's your light that we receive to shine out. In your great name we pray, amen. Will you stand with us as we continue in song? As always, I want to remind you, there's prayer team people down front. Someone once said, you know, praying at Bethany North can feel like going to the principal's office. I said, well, that's really a shame because there's people that would love to pray with you about some light that you're experiencing or places of darkness that feel discouraging right now. There'll be some prayer people down front. Let's continue in song.